Hello and welcome to In the Days of Noor with me, Noor, where we talk about Islamic related topics and social issues. So today I want to talk about the way in which women focusing on their homes help helps men focus on their careers, help men helps men to be better providers. So I was reading this article called Being Married Helps Professors, but only if they're male in the Atlantic. So this was written back in January January 17th, 2013. So written back in 2013. And the article is very interesting. Um, I'm actually still reading it, but I read a few points and just was thinking about a few things and I wanted to record this and then, of course, go on to reading So I think it brings up something now, the author may or may not agree with me. This is just what I was thinking about from what she wrote. Is that a lot of times in our society, people will say, well, women have to work these days because of the economy. You can't afford to live on a one income household. And I have so many things to say about that, and but I won't say it all in this podcast. But I think it's, it's wrong for so many reasons, not because it's not true that you need more money today than you needed 50, 70, 100 years ago to live, or even 30 years ago to live, but because it fundamentally misunderstands how, how women and men can work together. So that is that taking care of a household is not just about bringing money in. That's not the only facet of taking care of a household or maintaining a family. That's not the only thing one has to do. That's not the only way one can contribute. So if you say we need X amount of money to take care of this household, and the typical people in America, let's say you needed $100,000. You don't need that much, but let's just, just for the sake of argument, let's say that you needed $100,000 to take care of a typical household. And let's say that typically a job pays $50,000. We're just going to be general to make a point. So then, of course, logically, you could say, all right, well, then we need a two-income household. And then logically, you would say, well, a man, a wife, that's two people. Well, let's both get a job. We both make $50,000 and we pour $100,000 into this household. That is a very logical surface and masculine way of thinking about it that the x plus y equals z this is what we're going to do but it is not the only way of thinking about it and so I have like a whole list and eventually I'll, I'll put this together and make a blog post but I have a whole list of different ways that if you want to be a housewife, if you want to focus on your home, and I, I think a lot of people, in, in fact, I'm doing, trying to do some research right now about housewives, and the feedback that I've gotten from a few people who have filled out the survey, and one of the questions I ask is, what do you think about the title of housewife, or which, which of these titles do you like better, housewife, homemaker, or stay-at-home mom? And Everyone thus far has said they don't like the terminology housewife. They prefer homemaker or stay-at-home mom. And I definitely, so I definitely understand that there are some bad connotations behind housewife. Somehow it has come to be related to laziness. And so at least if people call themselves stay-at-home moms, then 
okay, people are a little more understanding of you dedicating yourself to your presumably small children. And then if you say homemaker, well, it kind of seems more active. At least that's what someone told me um, in terms of feedback, that the terminology homemaker seemed more active to them, like they were doing something. So I definitely get that housewife is not everyone's favorite favorite terminology, but I still prefer it simply because, for one, there shouldn't be any negative connotations around it. And I do think that the series Housewives of Atlanta and Housewives of Beverly Hills and all the rest of them, I do think that they have helped to further denigrate that name of Housewives because you see women, I think a lot of them do end up having careers, I'm not sure, but you see women who are arguing with each other, who have a lot of time on their hands, who don't do much of anything, who probably you don't see a lot of them taking care of their children. So it it definitely has this connection to women who are rich and don't have to work. They're just spoiled. They're just lazy. But one reason that I still like the terminology housewife is because first and foremost, Usually, if you're a woman who's deciding to dedicate herself to the home, you have a husband. So the first thing you are is married. You're a wife. And some women choose to stay at home to be housewives, even if they don't have children yet. So I don't think stay-at-home mom is suitable for everyone. And then homemaker. I do like the term homemaker as well, but still, I think it's very valuable to make the term wife prominent, housewife, because the primary reason to be a housewife, to dedicate oneself to the home, is about marriage, is about being, yes, for yourself, but also for your husband. And that's kind of what we want to talk about in this episode. And there there are many facets, not just your husband, but in this episode, we want to talk about one of the reasons is it being for your husband and also for just the success of the unit as a whole while both of you are functioning in different ways. So one thing she says in the article, she starts out talking about something very interesting, which is that she saw, she was researching different historians' books, and she saw, for example, something that was a common theme. So she gives an example from this book, that is called Consider, okay, it's called For Cause and Comrades. And historian James McPherson wrote, the person most instrumental in helping me produce this volume has also been the most important person in my life for the past 40 years, my wife, Patricia. In addition to enriching my everyday life, she has been a superb research assistant having read almost as many soldiers' letters and diaries as I have. And so she points to this as a common theme in a lot of historical works. And I would say in a lot of works in general, like for for sure, people usually dedicate their books to their family or people close to them. But it just distinctly made me remember this book, Empire of Illusion, And that book, it talks about a few different things, but one of the things it talks about is sort of the harms of pornography, exposing pornography, and different different facets of pornography and the harms it causes on society. And some of it, I don't even think I read that chapter fully word for word. There were some paragraphs that I had to skip because it was so graphic, 
And I think it's important that it be graphic that we realize how violent and disgusting this stuff is, but I just couldn't stomach it at the time. And one thing that he said in his dedication in the book, maybe not the dedication, but probably towards the back of the book, the acknowledgments, that his wife played a large role in watching those pornographic films and documenting what was happening in it. So she was very instrumental in the book. So it just made me think of that, like, for sure, there are spouses and maybe particularly women who help their help their spouses a great deal in their professional lives. And so she goes on to talk about, so this essay is specifically about professors, she goes on to say, for historians, marriage can accelerate the path towards full professorship, but only for males. For female historians, marriage can slow down a woman's career. So as soon as she said this, I wrote down, and it proved later to be true, that Maybe this also says something about the type of women men marry as opposed to the type of, excuse me, yeah, the type of women men marry as opposed to the type of men women marry. So just from guessing, and I'm sure, um, I'm almost positive you would have the same conclusion, that women in general want to marry up. So if you are or at least equal, but preferably up. So if you're a professor, you want to marry someone who's a professor and preferably someone who's a bit farther in their career. So that's my opinion, and I feel like I've, I've observed that, but this article also proves that to be correct, whereas I think that men are a bit more open when it comes to status. They have no issue marrying their secretary or even a former student like they that really isn't a big deal to them to marry someone who isn't as far in their profession as they are and so if you are someone that is on the professor track or any higher academic uh, excuse me any higher status in your academic field then if you have a spouse who isn't so career driven or who is lower in their field, then it's a lot easier to solicit their help. Whereas if you have a spouse who is just as driven in their career, who wants to move ahead just as much as you, it may be more difficult for that person to be able to help you. And more than likely, if any help does come your way, it will probably be mutual rather than your spouse acting as a research assistant because they're focused on their own work, their own career drive. And so, unsurprisingly to me, then she spoke about, so female historians who were either married or had been married at the time of the 2010 survey, they took an average of 7.8 years to move ahead to from associate to full professor. And women who had never married were promoted in an average of 6.7 years. So there's basically a one-year gap. If you're not married, it'll take you, I'm just going to round up, it'll take you about seven years to become a full professor from starting out as an associate professor. And if you are married, it'll take you about eight years 
from being an associate professor to a full-time professor. So only one year, so in reality, in a person's life, that's not a huge gap, you know? So I don't think anyone would read this article and say, oh, let me become a full professor before I get married because it'll take me a whole year more if I'm married. No, it's not a huge gap, but it's still significant enough to be a point of interest. And I'm going to skip her next point and then come back to it just because this is more relevant to the point you just made. So it says, conversely, male historians who were or had been married advanced in 5.9 years. The unmarried man took 6.4 years. So look at this. Unmarried men and women are taking just about the same time to go from associate professor to full professor. So women are taking 6.7 years and men are taking 6.4 years when they're not married. But when they are married, men are taking 5. Point, so just to go back to that for a minute, when they're unmarried, there's only a 0.3 year difference. So 0.3, let's see, 0.3, I guess that's about four months. So pretty insignificant. That's basically less than a no, just about a semester difference between a woman and a man becoming full professor. So very close when both are not married. But when you get to married, then men take 5.9 years to go from associate to full-time professor, whereas women take 7.8 years. So now there's a bit of a there's a bit more of a significant difference. So if we just round that up, that's about six years for men as compared to eight years for women. That's a two year difference if either party are married. So that's pretty interesting. Again, if we're talking about the actual human lifespan, that's not a huge difference. I mean, two years, one year is not a huge difference, but it's still pretty interesting that we can almost make the assumption. There's a, there's a couple of assumptions that we could make, and obviously it would need further research to know if this was true or not, but a couple of assumptions that I would make, or at least questions that I would want to ask is, are these men who are married, as opposed to the women who are married, are the men actively being helped by their wives in their careers? So are their, are their wives actively helping them with research? Are they actively, um, well, I can't think of anything besides research. So are they actively helping them in their career? Or is it that being married, so that's one thing. Are they actively helping them in their career? And for women, are their husbands not actively helping them in their career? And then I would also ask for men, does being married allow them to tap more into that primary drive of being a provider? So does marriage actually give them an encouragement to work harder, to do more than a woman maybe being married actually, she reverts back to a more primary focus. And again, we're not talking about extremes because this is only a two-year difference. But it is interesting that maybe for women once they marry, then they are more likely to fall back. Whereas for men, so that they can spend more time with their families. Whereas for men, they may be more likely to excel so that they can provide more for their families. And then of course, we can't discount the 
the biology, which is that obviously women are having the children. So if a woman is having a child, now not every woman is going to take off nine months or a year, but even if she takes off three months or so, for someone who is in a in a position of hiring or moving people's careers ahead, they may not look at biology, not care if you're male or female, but just look at time and see that this person last year they took off three months, this person last year they worked overtime, then that may influence decisions as well. So that even be even though she was doing so for a an important reason that may not be a, an employer may not care about that. So I think that's also another aspect is that we have to realize women, no matter what, we're still having the babies. And so that is also going to play a significant role in how far we can get it. We can get ahead in our careers. Because even if you're a woman who within a five or six year time span had two children, but let's say you only took off, uh, let's say you only took off three months each time. So some people may take off even less than that. But let's say you only took off three months to both recover from the pregnancy and to spend some time with your baby, then still that's six months of your life that you spent outside of your profession. And so that may also play a role in it negatively affecting whether your your um your I'm not sure what you would call it. Your, in this case, your school, that may negatively affect if they want to push you ahead or not. And that's why I really, that's why I think it's so important to acknowledge gender differences. Because once you acknowledge gender differences, then you it would not be fair to say to a woman who had a child or to look at men and women just based on time and say who is putting the most time, that's who gets ahead. Because if a woman is, now maybe that's fair for single women, but women who are having children, then they should be given some level of leeway, especially something like flex time and flex work and being able to work from home. I'm a huge proponent of that, that people should be able to work in different ways so that when they are when they may have a baby or when they're sick or when they may have to travel, they can work if they choose to and let that be a means for them to get ahead as well and to not be stifled by what is just a part of human life, having children. So we don't know why this is, but that's just some questions I would ask. Is it biology? Are women more prone to helping their spouses in their career than men? And are, or is it... Um, let me see. Or is it that women are just spending more time with their families once they're married and men are not, or, or or for men, their families are reason for them to want to excel in their career? So there's a lot of questions we can ask about why there's a difference there. So then she also mentioned two times as many female full professors listed their status as divorced or separated which suggests that their professional obligations were somehow less compatible with marriage than their male colleagues. They were also more likely than their male colleagues to have never wed at all. So this is also something that, it's something that we're, we're kind of taught to ignore, but it's so 
To me, I'd rather pay attention to reality, pay attention to society, learn it well, and try to use it for my benefit instead of attempting to change and resist it, especially if I don't think it's problematic. If I think it's something that's bad for society, like racism or sexism, then yes, of course, we have to try and change it. But if it's just a matter of the way people are and we're trying to get a certain goal, like for for example, if a woman is trying to get married and there are things that men like in women then it would be silly of her to do all of these opposite things that men don't like in women and then complain about not getting married or then expect to get married because this is this is just what it is and you're not going to change the mind of every man. You can sooner change your own self to adopt as many of those preferences as possible for you and try to find a mate in that way than to try and convince all of society that everything they believe in, everything they think is wrong. So I think that for a lot of, in fact, I saw this in the, it was funny, in the Grapevine, which is a really good YouTube series, then one of the men, I forget what the exact topic was, one of the men, oh yes, they were talking about career women not being able to get married, particularly black career women. So one of the men, he made a joke, but I thought it was so true in that he said, well, if you're making a product that nobody wants, whose fault is that? And that may sound insulting, but I think it just gets to the very basics. If men in general don't want career women and you want to get married, you may have to rethink the importance of career in your life. Or you can keep holding out for that man who does want a career wife, of course, but then just realize how limiting your pool is going to be and don't complain when you can't find a spouse because you should have known that. You should have, in the sense that if we're living in an environment where men do not prefer career women and you're a career woman, you should know it's going to be harder for you to get married because men don't like career women. So you can't do do something that you know goes against the preferences of the other mates and then complain that nobody wants you. You already knew nobody wanted that. And it work, it works for men as well in different ways. So for a man don't complain that no one wants don't complain that no one wants to marry you and you have no money and no career drive and you're not working if you already knew that women want a man who's working and has a career drive and even if he's not rich he has money to take care of them don't complain if you're putting out a product that nobody wants and i think it may be very reductionist but i think it is just it goes or yeah it is it is reductionist but it's important to be reductionist sometimes and just go back to the basics. If you want to get married, if you want to attract a mate, here are some things that most men like or most women like. If you don't fit most of those preferences, well, you're going to have a hard time. So I think that some career women, and we're talking outside of Muslim women or religious women, because then you have to factor in Zina as well, because if you are not married, does that mean you're not having relationships? And then you all, that's also something else to weigh. Um, so for some of these women, they're clearly sacrificing 
family for their career. And sadly, or I don't know if I should even say sadly, but it's paying off. When they sacrifice family for career, they can get ahead faster in their career. So if career is more important to you, well, then that that, that would be the route to go. Now, again, you have to consider other things because if you're not going to get married in your younger years, are you going to be able to save yourself for marriage until you get to that level of success? If you can, then I suppose if your career is that important to you, then go for it. But if you can't, then that's just something else to try and figure out as well. And again, like I said in one of my previous podcasts, this is why I would want, inshallah ta'ala, if Allah blesses me with a daughter, I would want her to get married younger, before the PhD, before the traveling, before the job. I would want her to get married younger and marry someone who can provide for her, take care of her, has a good character, and then worry about your career and all of that. Because the thing is that if you worry about your career first, your career can hurt your chances of finding a good suitable mate. But if you find the good suitable mate first, then you can get you can get all the degrees you want once you're in that marriage. My mother, for example, her and my dad, they met in high school and then they got married in college. And so they were both in college at the same time and uh, they were both working at different points. Sometimes she wasn't working but they were both working at different points in the early part of their marriage. But in the 30 years that they've been married, my mom was able to finish her bachelor's degree. She was able to get her master's degree. I think she got a professional degree as well. And also for my dad, that he was able to finish his degree also. So that you can get married first and start off on more of a equal footing, so to speak, or be able to find those things that you essentially want from the opposite sex and then go out and get your PhD and get your master's and travel and all that. Which is something that maybe, I, I don't know about everyone else's parents, but maybe other people have that example as well, that Again, my parents, they got, they finished their degree when they were married. As the years progressed, they got up in their career. So both of my parents didn't have a career, so to speak, when they got married. They were still in college. So they they both went through different careers together. And now they're at Hamnera, a good, a good financial point and have good careers and all of that. But they were able to work together and I'm sure that being married also helped them to reach those goals because of having support from one another and not having to sacrifice family just for career. If it takes you eight years to get your bachelor's and your master's because you have a family, because that's what someone may say, well, it's going to take you a longer time to get your master's and your, and your PhD and all of that if you're married, well, so what? I mean, what is the rush? Is there a rush to go out and get a job? Is that more? Is that really more important than having a family? I, I don't think so. I don't see why there should be any rush to get the PhD or to get the great career, especially when we have to add in biology as well. For us as women, if you want to have the healthiest time to have a child is in your younger 20s. 
we menstruate from the time we're some of us 13, 14, 15, somewhere around there. And so once you get to your 30s and your 40s, your chance of having a healthy child goes down tremendously. Of even having a child when you reach your 40s go down goes down tremendously. And so if you can have healthy children and get to enjoy those younger years of your life healthy, playing with your children and all of that, and actually at that time when you may be going to school and, and having a family and you may think, oh my God, that would be so stressful if I had to do that in my 20s. But in our 20s, we have more energy to do that sort of thing. We have more energy to take on a lot more. And so, yeah, of course it would be stressful, but I don't know that it would be more stressful than, okay, you spend all of your 20s on just schooling and career. And then you spend some or most of your 30s on your career. And then sometime in your 30s, that's when you get married and then late 30s, early 40s, you're having a child. I think it would be far more stressful to have a young child when you're when now you have a robust career and you're in your late 30s or early 40s. Because think about it, if you start having children in your young 20s, by the time your kid is 10 or even 7, so you don't have to do a lot of primary care, then you're only in your 30s. So you have more than enough time to focus on your career in your 30s and 40s. And now that they're older, now you have you have the kid, you have the husband, you have the kids. And so you don't have to be concerned about looking for that down the road. And now they're older and so you can focus more on yourself. So I just think sometimes we have to rethink really what really what is easier, what is more difficult, and we just have to decide for our own life. So she said female professors were more likely to have a spouse or partner with a doctor degree, 54.7% to men's 30.9%. So this is something I guessed even before she said that, that women would be more likely to want a spouse who is also a professional and men would be more open to marry a variety of women when it comes to their profession. We all know of the stereotype of the man who marries his secretary. Men don't care as much about marrying their equal or above them when it comes to status. In fact, they may even prefer to marry someone who is less than them in status. Aloha them. So the female professors that had a spouse with a doctorate degree, that was 54.7%. So the majority of them, a slight majority. And for men, it was 30.9%, a minority. And then their partners are more likely to be in academia for women, 49.6%, about 50%, about half of women. And then for men, only 36.3%. So I just think it's so interesting to see the differences. Um, and then as well, so she's just quoting a professor from Brown University, and she says, I have a theory about this. It seems pretty clear that smart women are going to find men who are engaged, basically who are in the field, but I just don't see that it works the other way around. A female professor with a stay-at-home spouse is quite rare, but often a man with a stay-at-home, uh, but she often sees a man with a stay-at-home wife. 
which this is the key point. This is the key point I want to get into. Allowing them to fully commit themselves to their profession. Allowing them to fully commit themselves to their profession. This goes back to the main point that we want to talk and think about. We talk about in our times, you need two people, you need to have a two-income household. We forget this fundamental key. If you have a spouse who is taking care of the home, primarily taking care of the home, they're cooking, they're cleaning, they're doing childcare, all of that is lifted off of you, you can then fully commit yourself to your career. So this is something that we miss. Two income household, having a certain amount of money to bring into the household in our times is not about two incomes. That can be, that's one way to break it up. You can say, okay, the husband and wife works and bring home X amount of money to take care of the household. That's one way though. That's just one of many ways. Another way in which we can do this is to focus primarily on the household and take the entire burden of the household off of our spouse. If a man knows that the food is going to be cooked and the house is going to be clean and the kids are going to be taken care of, if all of those burdens are alleviated from him, he can focus 100% on his career. Obviously, I'm not talking about in neglect of his family, but in terms of He doesn't have to focus on household duties at all. So he gets to do it when he has the time or the energy and he wants to help. But what does that allow him to do? That allows him to focus more time on his career. And what happens when you focus more time on your career? You'll be more successful. You'll make more money. You'll find more opportunities. As we saw with these men who are professors, When they're married, it takes them 5.9 years to advance from associate professor to full-time professor. Whereas for unmarried men, it took 6.4 years, a bit longer. And then comparing that to the women, it took them about two years longer than married men to become full-time professors. And again... Most of the women are married to men in academia or who at least have a doctorate, so you know they're doing some kind of high-level work. What does that mean? If you have two spouses who are both doing high-level work, who are both focusing on their careers, that means they both have to be focused on the household as well. It's no longer anyone's primary responsibility. So they're both going to be held back by the fact that they cannot solely focus on their career or primarily focus on their career. So the woman, because she's more likely to be married to someone who is a professional, she still has to be focused on her household. So she cannot spend 100% of her time or or she cannot be primarily focused on her career. She has to be juggling her career and the household. And the same for a man who's married to someone who has just as much drive as him. So it's so valuable that we realize if this stuff... So And and then we see, just to make this point again, then we see that the woman who is married, those women were two times 
excuse me, the women who aren't married, there were two times as many of them in full-time professorships. So the women who aren't married, who don't have to worry primarily about their household, they can succeed even farther than women who don't have to worry, excuse me, than women who do have to worry about it. So this is just so important and it needs to be stressed. If you alleviate your husband of the burden of the household, instead of taking the route of, okay, I'll work too, if you alleviate him of the burden of the household, he doesn't have to worry about cooking, cleaning, or childcare, you make it possible for him to completely focus on his career. That means he's going to be looking for opportunities. That means he's going to be working longer hours. That means he's going to have more drive and he's going to get further in his career faster. So you may think, our society thinks, okay, if you need $100,000 to run a household, then you need two people to be, and the average job is $50,000, well, then you need two people who who are making $50,000 to make that household run. But what we don't realize is if the wife, now I'm saying the wife primarily because I do the whole house husband thing. I'm just not interested in that conversation. So I'm speaking about wives primarily. If you focus all your energy on the household and you alleviate that stress from your husband, you allow him to figure out how to make $100,000. So if that may mean two jobs, but it also may mean working harder in his own career. It may also mean working harder in his career and finding more opportunities. So let's say if he's a professor, if he is free from all household work, then he's able to think about writing a book. He's able to do more research. He's able to take on more classes. He's able to work longer hours. He's able to look for those opportunities of advancement in his career. And so he may start out making the $50,000, but he may be able to accelerate to the point of making $100,000 or more because he's able to focus on that career. Whereas if he had a wife who was also a professional, And if he had to cook half the time and clean half the time, well, then he's probably going to stay in that $50,000 range because he doesn't have time to think about how else he can bring more money into the household. And so we have to realize there is the yin and yang that is happening. If you are able to focus on one thing, you free him to focus on his thing. And I'm not saying everybody wants that. But if you do want to be a stay-at-home wife, especially in our times to make it justifiable to your husband and to yourself, you have to realize there are real-world benefits that you'll see in your life if you start focusing primarily on the home. You cannot think of it as taking money away from your family or you're not contributing financially. No, if you put your energy into the household, you are freeing him to put his energy into his career. So you may not be literally making the $50,000, but you're freeing him to find a way to make another $50,000. And I wanted to have this quote from Fascinating Womanhood, which is one of my favorite books when it comes to marriage. Yes, some of her points are very extreme, but I feel like in our society... 
for us as women, we need to go back to some of these examples, even if we even if we're not going to take 50% of it, or even if we only take 20% of it, because we're so lacking in how can we tap into our femininity, our feminine energy, how can we be in the household and make that something of value? Where are those examples? We just don't really have them in our time. So I think her book is useful in that way. Okay. So she says, The feminine role versus the working wife. I think I'll just include two of her points. Okay. Yeah. So, harm to men. When you work, you rob your husband of the right to meet ordinary challenges and grow by these challenges. And as you become capable, efficient, and independent, he feels less needed and therefore less masculine. This weakens him. As you lift, he sets the bucket down. This is something that, for the life of me, I don't know why we as women don't understand these days. There is yin and yang. There is feminine energy. There is masculine energy. If you push, then something is pulled. Nothing, we don't exist in a vacuum. All of our actions affect men. So the funniest thing to me sometimes is that a lot of women will will speak out against sexual harassment, for instance, and that was what my last podcast was about. But they'll speak out about sexual harassment and they'll talk about men just coming up to them and saying hello. They'll put that in terms of sexual harassment. And so if you're going to say that a man who just simply says hello to you is sexual harassment, don't be surprised when you find that there aren't any men who are willing to come up and talk to you. Because these same women will complain that men aren't assertive enough these days, that men don't ask ask them out on proper dates and, and all of this. But if you're saying to men, don't talk to me, that's harassment. Well, yeah, a lot of men are going to think twice before going up to you and saying hello. So we have to realize that actions have consequences. It's such a basic concept that I, I'm not really sure why we don't understand. So when you work, you rob your husband of his right to meet ordinary challenges. So again, if we're saying it takes $100,000 to run a household and your immediate response is, okay, I'll take up half of that responsibility, you are robbing him of the chance to figure out how to make $100,000. Because a man, and I'm not saying this isn't true for both of us, Allahu alam. But for a man, if you take away a responsibility from him, excuse me, if you, uh, let me say the opposite of that. If you don't try to fulfill his responsibility, he is going to figure out a way to do it. If you don't say, you know what, I'll just go out and get a job and I'll, I'll help you and no problem. I'll help with half the rent and all that. If you don't say that, if you say, yeah, honey, I know it's hard, but I believe you can do it. I know you can do it. That man is going to find a way to do it. Partly because you believe in him, but also partly because you've left that space empty 
for him to be able to do it. If no one else is going to come and rescue him, if you're not going to come and rescue him, if you're not going to come and fill the burden, if you're not going to come and help him, quote unquote, help him, he is going to figure out how to get $100,000. If that means he gets two jobs, that's what he's going to do. That means he works harder at his job, that's what he's going to do. And you as a wife, there are so many ways, and, and I don't want this to be too long, but there are so many ways that you can help him without taking over his job. So you can help him by spending less money on food. You can help him by asking for less money. You can help him by being grateful for what he does. You can help him by not complaining. Like There's so many ways to help him without having to take over his role. And if you want to take over that role, then, you know, that's up to you. But I think that as women, we're not even shown other options. We're not even told you can do this or you can do this or you can do this. No, everyone is telling us we have to go out and get a job just like men because these days it takes two economies. No one is showing us any other way. So that's why I focus so much on talking about other ways because it is so it is a it's a conversation that has been so stomped down so um just pushed out when really it is just as valid as going out as working if not more because i think that in our society we are really absent of men who feel responsible for women it is we are so absent of that and I was writing an essay about this. I'm not, I don't think I published it in on my blog. I'm not sure. This was a while ago, but I was talking about the existence of rape culture. Did I believe in it? Did I not believe in it? Whatever. And one of the examples that I gave, so I gave reasons as to why maybe I could buy into that theory and to why maybe I can't. But one of the reasons I gave as to why I could possibly buy into that theory is that, or this idea of the existence of rape culture was the fact that men, there was an example, and there are probably countless examples of this, of a man who, or men, who they either raped a woman or just slept with her and then took pictures, or was it this, I'm sorry, there's so many stories like this. Some Somehow they had a nude picture of a woman, not a pornographic star, just a regular woman. And... They passed it around. So a man received this nude. I think that's what it was. A man received this nude picture of a woman, maybe his girlfriend or maybe someone interested in him these days, Allahu Alam. And what does he do with that image? He shares it around with his friends. He shares it around on social media. So this, to me, presents a situation where too many of our men do not feel responsible for women. They just don't feel responsible for us. They receive, they have no problem passing around nudes. I mean, there have been cases where women have been raped and it's been shared on social media. So there is this lack of responsibility of our men. And so we're both not teaching our boys to be responsible for women and we're not expecting it of our husbands. So then when we're out there and we say rape culture, well, 
what do we expect from a society where we don't expect men to be responsible for women? If men aren't responsible for women, then what are they going to be? They're going to be indifferent. They're not really going to care what happens to you. And it's nice to say, well, can't we all be equal? It doesn't seem to work that way. And Allahu Alam, but it just really doesn't seem to work that way. Either men feel responsible for you or they feel indifferent for, for you. To just see you as equal, as, as they would see a man, just doesn't really seem to happen. And so I feel like we need to have more men who feel responsible for women. But a part of that is us as women saying, you can do it. I believe in you. I know you can do this. And that's not taking over their space. Because if we take over their space, whether we say it or not, we're telling them that they're not capable of doing it. And we're telling them that we can be responsible for ourselves. And while that's completely fine in individual relationships, I think there's too much of that in our society. There are too many men, maybe most men, who just don't feel any responsibility for women. And it's a disgrace to our society. I'm writing about this now, but I'll give you an example of Uthman, his last name, but Uthman, who when Um Salama, I'll give you the short version, when she was traveling from Mecca to Medina by herself with her baby, this man saw her, asked her if she was traveling alone, and traveled with her from where she was all the way to Medina. And I almost feel emotional just telling that little bit of the story because he. this is what men are supposed to do. This is the kind of respect that, that men are supposed to have for women. Not a mutual respect because a mutual respect would just be to see her and keep it moving. That's mutual respect. Mutual respect is you can take care of yourself. But a, a respect for women that honors them and sees them as your personal responsibility for a man to see every woman as his personal responsibility that is the example that we got from Uthman and it's so it's so beautiful for a couple of reasons one is that he traveled with her for her safety for her protection didn't ask her of anything didn't even speak to her because this is another problem this is another dynamic that's problematic as well as women is the few men who sometimes seem to be taking that responsibility, having that chivalry for women, but it's purely sexual. They do it for women they're attracted to and they expect to get something out of it. That's, that's not the point. The point is taking a personal responsibility simply because you are a man and you know you're a man and you know that you are physically stronger for one than women. So you know that if someone comes to bother her, you can protect her that you're able to be her protection in outside society, that is all it's about. That's the beginning and end of it, and that is your honor as a man. But for us as women, we have to accept that. If Um Salama, or if some of us were, were in Um Salama's position, what would we say? No, I'm okay. It's all right. I'm good. I, I can do it. I, I, I got this far. 
Oh, subhanAllah, some of us would <laughs> some of us would be like, you know what, brother, I caught this far by myself. I can get the rest of the way by myself. So it is not just about part of it is about the honor men should have for simply being the protectors of women, of all women. But another part of it is us accepting that protection, is a is us being grateful for that protection. So there's a yin and a yang. If we say, no, I'm independent, I don't need a man, etc., don't expect a man to come and help you. Like, you, you, the energy you put out gives back a certain energy. So don't expect a man to come and help you if you say you don't need help. And that energy is too prevalent in our society that to the point where it's not just an individual thing. It is on a societal level of too much of this energy from women being put out that they don't need men. And then the response from men is, okay, well, I guess if you don't need us, okay. So that they can do something like passing around nudes of women because they don't see protection of women's body women's bodies and women's persons as valuable. They don't see women as their personal responsibility, so they have no problem treating them as objects. So lastly, I want to say from her book, Fascinating Womanhood, Harm, Harm in Women Working. So what's the harm to the woman? We spoke about the harm to the man, when you work, you rob your husband of his chance to, to meet ordinary challenges and to grow, to grow by these challenges. And as you become capable, efficient, and independent, he feels less needed and therefore less masculine. This weakens him. As you lift, he sets the bucket down. As you lift, he sets the bucket down. So secondly, harm to women. When you work by choice, you tend to lose some of your womanliness. The moon, when it moves from its sphere of night into day, loses its luster, its charm, its very poetry. And so it is with a woman when she attempts to play a part not intended for her. She is the luster, the charm, the poetry that says she is a phantom delight. When you work, you tend to take on a uh, tend to take on masculine traits to be aggressive, bold, capable, efficient, and independent, resulting in a loss of feminine charm. So, and then she goes on to say, how much charm you lose depends on the type of work. Less masculine jobs, secretarial, clerical, nursing school, etc. Uh, but any type of work that earns money encourages independence is an enemy to femininity. So it's so, uh, it's important that we realize this. Just simply being a woman doesn't mean we're feminine. So we are prone to femininity and having feminine traits, but they can be emphasized, we can grow in them, where they can become stagnant and we can take on more masculine character traits. And the same is true for men. So if you're out there, it's something that I realized that it used to make me really sad, really disappointed when I would see black mothers, particularly on the train, I guess usually coming from work, with their children 
and or maybe coming from picking up the child from daycare, whatever it was. And the smallest thing that the child would do, the smallest thing, they would go into a, a fit of rage and they would just be so angry, cursing at the child, yelling at them, etc. How many I haven't seen this in a while, so maybe things have changed a lot. But I think that a part of this, before I just used to look at these women like, like, what are you doing? Like, why would you do that to a child? But what I realize now is that you can't expect a woman to be feminine if she, if she is forced to be masculine. If she is forced to go out and work. So if you're a single mother and you have to go out and work, you're forced to be masculine because the workplace is often masculine. Almost always. I mean, there are very there are very rare occasions where it won't be. Maybe if it's owned by a woman and she just really makes sure to make it more feminine and woman-friendly and all of that, not, comp- not um, too competitive and more sharing and, and togetherness is valued, etc. Co- cooperation is valued. The more of that there is and the less masculine the job will be, the less masculine traits you'll have to take on. But a typical job is masculine. And so if a woman is forced to get out there and hustle and bustle and that becomes her main identity, that becomes who she is most of the time, then how could she be able to just turn off the switch when she comes home, when she's with her children? That maternal instinct, that femininity is going to die. Because she can't put it in use most of the time. She can't put it in use eight hours a day. She can't put it in use when she's rushing out the house to go to work. She can't put it in use when she's rushing to from work to daycare. And so you expect her to suddenly turn it on the last two, three hours she has in the day? Of course not. It's not as likely. And that's one reason why I absolutely hate this stereotype of the woman who can do it all. And, and black men promote this the most. And I, I'm not trying to talk down about my people, but I guess um, blackness is coming up a lot in this, in this episode. But unfortunately, I feel like black men do this a lot of expecting a woman to... Expecting and promoting a woman who works all day and then comes home and caters to him. And some women can do it. I don't know how. <laughs> but some women can do it. But a lot of women can't. It is difficult to just turn that energy off so quickly. And there's a book called um, The Alpha Female's Guide to Marriage by a white woman. And it's very, very interesting. I listened to the podcast with her talking about it. It's so valuable because as women, we are taught a lot of masculine character traits. Go to school, go to work at a job. And we're not taught to tap into our femininity, but then interestingly enough, we get married and men still expect us to be feminine, even though we're like all raised to be equal, quote unquote. But somehow men still expect that femininity and are very turned off when their wife is too masculine. So then women have to unlearn some of these habits, but I think it's very damaging when you have to turn on these habits eight hours a day and then Force yourself to turn it off three hours a day. I think that women, a lot of women, most women, especially if you're married, need to find work if you feel like you have to work. 
that is that allows you to center your family and your femininity and your 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 um your household because then you have you're using your feminine energy most of the time and then you only have to use your your masculine energy for a minimum amount of time or if you have a passive income then you never have to use more masculine more masculine energy i just think it's really our society is really missing out like it's not just about women and individual couples our society is missing out on both feminine energy and the masculine protective energy because this idea of toxic masculinity, and I, I wrote about this on the blog as well, toxic masculinity is going to be the result of taking away everything honorable about men. So if you tell men they're no longer allowed to be protective of their women, of their wives and their daughters, then what are they left with? They have this aggressive energy, but you tell them don't use this aggressive energy to protect women. Well, then what do you think they're going to do with that energy? They're going to use it to harass women. Instead of instead of um, most men checking those men who harass women, they're either going to passively allow it to happen or they're going to be the ones who are harassing because they still have this energy and society gives them no honorable outlet to use it in order to protect women. And so then we end up with this thing called masculine energy where the only thing left of masculinity is are all of its superficial qualities or all of its, I shouldn't say superficial, but all of its primary unfiltered qualities that if we just filtered it through the right means, it would be beneficial like Uthman protecting Um Salama, guiding her, but not saying a word to her and not expecting anything from her, but taking it upon himself to be responsible for her. That is what masculine energy can do when it is filtered in the right direction. But if someone had the masculine energy, but no guidelines, no value of protecting women, then they see a woman and her child and they may take advantage of her. They may use that masculine energy to take advantage of her. But if it's filtered towards valuing her and protecting her, then they will value and protect her. Especially if the woman is open to being to being um, receptive to that energy. So this podcast is particularly long. So I'm going to end it and I'll probably have some future episodes about the ways in which women can contribute to the household without working because I it just it needs to be spoken about. Too many women do not want to work, but they feel trapped into working because society gives them no other means. They get society tells them that is the only thing you can do. You have to work because we need two incomes these days. But as women, if we really don't want to work, and if we know that working will be damaging to us, then we need to figure out how we can facilitate our husbands in doing his job and and be able to fully focus on our job in our society. And so inshallah ta'ala, I'm sure I'll have a few more episodes about that. I hope you got something from this, and I hope there wasn't too much rambling, but I just had a lot to say. I even have more notes that I didn't get to include, but I will include in a future episode. Thank you for listening. Take care.